John chapter 13. I know we were there. Verse 12. I want to pick up in verse 12. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. As we mentioned last week, Jesus washing his disciples' feet was the biggest picture he was trying to relay. Remember, they're arguing at this point about who's the greatest, and he's ready to get slaughtered. Make sense? He says, this is the greatest. You go wash each other's feet. Love each other as I have loved you. And this is what he keeps driving at. That's the idea. That the Lord desires that our love and devotion to him be demonstrated, be manifested in our love for one another. That we would love like he loved. That we would love each other to the end to the uttermost. How many of you have a little, long way to go on that? <clears throat> yeah. You see, Jesus met our greatest need in the cross, amen? And we kind of work back from that. We're willing to lay down our lives for the Lord, but let's lay down our lives practically for one another, right? That's the picture. Jesus met our greatest need, the dirtiest task. He cleansed us from our sin. And so if we're to have that same mindset of Christ, if, if, if our Lord is Jesus, if your Lord is Jesus, if my Lord is Jesus, and he went and washed feet, who am I not to wash feet? You know what I mean? Your feet, stinky feet. My feet, stinky feet, right? Allegorically speaking. Remember, they didn't get it. Do we get it? No. Are we there yet? Are we all refined? Are we finished? No. We love one another as Christ loved us. The picture is beautiful. Philippians 2, 1 through 8 sums it up. This is all review what Paul says to the church. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. Now, you see everything I'm going through. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accordance of one mind. Be unified. Unified in what? Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know, keep in mind in our fallen world, he's not talking about going and fulfilling the sinful desires of other people. That's not what he's talking about. We've got to clarify there. But have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account quality with a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a serpent, servant, right? Being born of the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Paul said, I die daily. And in losing our life, we actually find that we gain it. 
Lay down your lives for one another. That's what Peter, that's what the, the whole New Testament teaching is. Jesus says at the end of verse 17, not to reteach a message, he says, if you know these, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Right? So it's actual doing. Verse 18. Jesus starts to shock his disciples. He said, blessed are you guys if you do them. He's in the supper room. And then he says in the very next breath, I am not speaking to all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate bread has lifted up his heel against me. That's not a bread joke. That is, he lifts up his heel against me. That's a, a sign of disrespect and dishonor. Remember the Middle East, the foot was a very unclean thing. Right? That's why people throw shoes at each other and do weird stuff like that. But this is the picture. That someone who's eating my bread is going to betray me. And I'm telling you this now, disciples who are in this room, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. If you remember, Judas is in the room, right? Judas is in the room. He's one of the 12 chosen by Jesus. Knowing all the time that Judas would betray Jesus, Jesus just knew it. If you remember already, he said in verse 2 of chapter 13 here that the devil had already put into the heart of Judas to betray. It was already happening. It wasn't like it was a spontaneous thing. We know from Luke 22 that Judas has already conspired with the, the Pharisees. He's already received money, a payment to do this. That's a prophecy. And by the way, the, the exact money that was counted out to him was 30 pieces of silver, prophesied 600 years earlier by Zechariah. Matthew 25, uh, 15 speaks of this. And so Judas, with money in hand, he's just looking for the opportunity to betray Jesus. He's sitting there with them. He's having the meal. He's going through devotions. He's worshiping. He's doing all the things that everybody's doing, but he's just waiting for the moment to betray Jesus. Just a total snake. And so Jesus was not surprised by any of this. He knew who Judas was. He knew he'd betray him. He knew everything about him. If you remember back in John 6, 54, what happens? Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you have no part with me. And then all the disciples who said they were his disciples freaked out because they didn't want to do that. And, in, and it says there in verse 64 that, but, some were there, but there are some of you who do not believe, Jesus said to that group. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus already knew from the beginning, even when he chose Judas, he knew he would betray him. That's a, I don't know what to do with that. But he knew. Jesus knew that Judas did not believe and he would betray him. And just a few verses later in John six seventy, Jesus answered them and said, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? It says he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. As they're gathered there in the upper room, the Last Supper, the time's come for betrayal to take place. And Jesus starts quoting scriptures that prophesied of that betrayal. In Psalm 41.9, even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate, who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He quotes this verse in their midst. And Jesus, knowing this, says to the rest of his disciples in verse 19, I'm telling you this now before it happens, so why? So when it does take place, you may believe that I am he, right? And so looking back upon that night, 
after everything that had transpired, they wouldn't go, oh my gosh, it's just Jesus was totally taken by surprise. No, Jesus knew absolutely everything that was going to happen. He's sovereignly walking in God's will and his plan. He knew the traitor. He knew what would happen. And instead of one of your own being a traitor and you finding out and your faith being shipwrecked, Jesus wanted them to know that he knew what would happen before it happened so that it wouldn't shipwreck their faith. They would actually be a means for them to believe in him when it happened. Wow. How much did he love them and care for them and shepherd their souls? that everything was according to God's plan. Verse 20, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. And the idea here is that Judas's betrayal would not nullify their mission. I'm still sending you. This is going to happen. And a lot of stuff's going to transpire tonight. You guys are going to scatter and go places. I'm still sending you. And the one who does receive you, in spite of them realizing there's a betrayer among you and all that stuff, the one who does receive you, guess what? They receive me. And in receiving me, they receive the one who sent me. They receive the Father. And what's so neat is that that is our mission. That Jesus sends you into into the world. You are the disciples of Jesus Christ, if you are truly his disciple, right? Amen? And he sends you out into the darkness, into the world, with all the mess going on and not knowing the full things, right? And those who receive you, not you, your message, him, they receive him, they receive the Father. Amen, that's that's his plan. He sent the disciples into the world to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And you are a long lineage of those who have received the message from Jesus Christ. Amen? The Holy Spirit's at work in his church. So whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The me- Your mission's not over, guys. Verse 21, and after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. It's all coming down to the moment. He's saying, one of you is going to betray me. The disciples looked at one another of, with uncertainty of whom he spoke. The disciples have no clue, Right? Mark's gospel records that it's at this point that they start asking the Lord, is it I? That's what they start asking. He says, one of you is going to betray me. And they just start, what? Is, is it I, Lord? And guess what? Mark 14, or Matthew's account, uh, chapter 25, verses 21 through 25, this is chilling. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. This is Matthew's account. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to him by that man, uh, by, by, sorry, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would better have been for that man not to have been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. He plays along with all the disciples. He had already gotten the money. He had already gotten the payment. He sits there and goes, is it I? He's not asking. He's doing what? He's hypocriting out. The other guys didn't even know. 
So Judas, knowing full well that he was the one betraying, plays along Matthew's account in chapter 25, tells us. But as we will see, the disciples didn't get it. Back in John 13, 23, picking up, says one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. This is in the upper room. They're all gathered there, right? And they're sitting around a table. This is Middle Eastern style back 2,000 years ago. They're not sitting up in chairs like the paintings do. They're on the floor all hanging out. And there's a low table probably. And the meal's kind of low. And they're all kind of reclined on pillows or whatever it is. And it says that the apostle whom Jesus loved is kind of leaning against his side. He's right next to him. This is John, the one who's writing this thing, known as the apostle of love. He mentions more about love than any of the apostles. Just enthralled with the love of God. You know, fascinating study if you get into it. Look at Jesus and his disciples. You have the masses. You've got the 120. You've got the smaller group that was sent out. You've got the 12. You've got the three and then you have the one, perhaps, John, whom he chose to even give revelation to, the book of Revelation in the end. It was just, just a beautiful thing. No doubt the Lord loved all of them, but John sensed the love of Christ. He says, I was leaning up against Jesus' side. He doesn't even mention himself. I love that. And here's John in verse 24, it says, So Simon Peter mentioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. <laughs> and so that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Verse 26, And Jesus answered, It is he whom I give this morsel of bread when I've dipped it. And so when he dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him, into Judas. So keep in mind, they're reclining on the floor and John's leaning against him. Peter wants, he wants to know what's going on. Peter wants, he's in the middle of everything, right? He's like, what, who, who is it? Like, go ask him. Just please, just get the information. And apparently, Jesus doesn't answer loud enough for anybody to hear but John. We know that because later on it says that no one understood what was going on. It hadn't been relayed around the table. It wasn't loud enough for everybody to hear And he answers that question where only John can hear. He hands the bread to Judas and then Satan enters Judas, Satan himself. This isn't demon possession. This is Satan entering Judas. This is the ultimate demon, fallen angel. And Jesus at the end of verse 28, 7 speaks directly to Satan. He says, he says to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Real quickly, who's in charge? What's the answer? Jesus, right? Yeah. He says, hey, what you're going to do, go do quickly. Jesus knew what would happen. He knew God's timetable. He knew everything that was going on. As someone famous once said, Satan is God's devil. Who's in charge? Satan fulfills the purposes of God. Now, in no way does God tempt people. We know that from James chapter 1, I think verse 13. In no way does God tempt people, but where God will test people, Satan will tempt people, and where, and where Satan will tempt people, God will test people. James goes on to say, basically, that the reason why you fall into temptation is because of your own wickedness and your own heart. 
That's why you fall into temptation. And the idea is that there's something evil within us that is attracted to sin. And he uses terms, I've talked to us about this before, but he uses terms that are fishing and hunting terms. You know, you put things that appeal to the nature of the thing you're trapping or catching or fishing in order to lure them or to snare them or to keep them, and that's what sin does for us. We have a nature that has fallen, and in and, and, and no way is God tempting us with anything. The enemy does that. He just simply plops the thing in front of us, and it naturally draws us to it. Christ came us to give us power and victory over that by putting his spirit within us that has nothing to do with sin. And so we reckon the old man dead by faith. That's a whole Roman story, but we'll get there later. But Jesus apparently answers John, so only John can hear him. He said, what you're gonna do, go do quickly to, to Judas. Verse 28, we're gonna go through this quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him, and so apparently John was the only one who heard, right? We betray him, but they all heard Jesus say, what you're doing, go do quickly. And so some thought that because Judas has the money bag, right? Verse 29, Jesus was telling them, uh, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So Judas was the money bag guy, right? What did Jesus love? I love money. He had another bag of money on him. 30 pieces of silver. And so after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. And what does it say? And it was what? It was night. And I have to go back to Exodus because the angel of, the, the avenging angel, the judgment of God came at midnight. It's just this picture. I think he's drawing with it. It's not an exact connection. But the lamb was sacrificed at the darkest, for the darkest moment. And this is darkness. Darkness is flooding into the scene. Satan is at work. Judas is at play. Evil is hatching its scheme. Wow. Verse 31, and when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him, and if God is glorified in him, God will also be glorified in himself and glorify him at once. What's the key word there? Judas is out of the room, and Jesus starts talking about glorifying himself. Satan's was at work, but God's ultimate plan would prevail, right? And the result of that plan, even though Satan was at work, would be the glorification of God through the Son. The act of Jesus' greatest humility is about to happen. The death on the cross would be that very act that glorifies the Son, you remember, as he told Nicodemus back in John 3, 14 through 15, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son must, son must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He went down, and that was his moment of glory to lift everyone else up through his humiliation. And so by giving his life for sinners, Jesus was glorified by obeying the will of the Father. And Jesus radiated the character of God. Do you see that? He radiated the character of God, and this is why Jesus also says that God is glorified in him. The Father is glorified in the Son. It was through Jesus that the world sees the Father most clearly, that we see his character, we see who he is. God's power over sin, his power over death, his justice, his mercy, his love, his holiness, his faithfulness, his 
power over death by raising Jesus from the dead. We see God in Christ. We see all his power. There is mercy. The Father was glorified in the Son, and Jesus says in verse 32, if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. In other words, Jesus would be glorified, would glorify the Father also, but the Father would glorify the Son. He would raise him from the dead. That's what's about to come about. So not only was God glorified in Jesus dying, and God was glorified because the characteristics of, of, of God were displayed through Christ, but then God would also glorify the Son by raising him from the dead and, and having him ascend to the right hand of the Father. Kind of complex there, but this is what Jesus is talking about. So Judas, out of the room, Jesus begins his farewell address in verse 33. He says, little children, yet a little while I'm with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I will also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. Jesus was headed to the cross. They couldn't follow, right? And here Jesus is parting instructions to his faithful disciples. Verse 34, this is when we should underline and memorize, because this is what Jesus says to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you. Notice it didn't say suggestion, a new suggestion I give to you. What is he saying? A new commandment. Who's our Lord? Jesus. And he commands us what? Just as I have loved you, you are also to what? Love one another. This is the core teaching of the New Testament. If you go through the epistles, the letters to the church, he always starts out, they usually start out by saying, hey, this is what Christ has done for you, and here's your response as Christians. It's all in love. As I've mentioned before, even dealing with correction, he's dealing with correction in the church, like abuse of the gifts of the Spirit and all that stuff. He sandwiches all that teaching in the middle of, it's not done in love, Corinthians. Here's a more better way. And he just kind of goes through all the things, the relationships to uh, husbands, love your wives as life to the, of the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the, as the church submits to Christ, right? And then he goes on, pa- kids, obey your parents. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, treat your slaves well. Love, if you're a Christian, love. In all circumstances, love. Good, bad, ugly circumstances, love. And we know from the next verse, verse 35, it says, by this, what? All people will know that you are my disciples if you have what? If you have love for one another. You see, the gospel without love is a banging symbol. So we love. We preach the message. We live the message. Amen? So let me ask you, what does that mean, love one another? I think we have to learn. Let me give you some one another's that the New Testament. I'm just going to read them off. And I'll, I can print this out for you later, but here's some commands that Jesus and the apostles and everybody teaching in the New Testament. Be at peace with one another. That's one way you can love one another. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet symbolically, John 13, 14. Love one another 
in John 13, 34. Love one another again, John 13, 34. Love one another, John 13, 35. Love one, love one another, John 15, 12. Love one another, John 15, 17. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, Romans 12, 10. Honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12, 10. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12, 16. Love one another, Romans 13, 8. Stop passing judgment on one another, Romans 14, 13. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, Romans 15, 7. Instruct one another, Romans 15, 14. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Be careful of coronavirus, whatever it is. Romans 16, 16. You get the idea, right? When you come together to eat, wait for each other. 1 Corinthians 11.33, right? Have equal concern for one another, 1 Corinthians 12.25. Greet one another with a holy kiss, again, 1 Corinthians 16.20. Greet one another with a holy kiss, 2 Corinthians 13.12. There should be affection towards one another, appropriate cultural affection towards one another. There should be a loving kindness towards one another, kindness. Shake each other's hands when you greet. Give each other a side hug. Care about one another. You know what I mean? Serve one another, Galatians 5.13. If you keep biting and devouring one another, you'll be destroyed by each other. So the negative, don't do that, Galatians 5.15, right? Let us not be conceited, provoking one another and envying one another, Galatians 5.26. Carry each other's burdens, Galatians 6.2. Be patient and bearing with one another in love, Ephesians 4.2. Be kind and compassionate to one another, Ephesians 4.32. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4.32. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Ephesians 5.19. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, Ephesians 5.21. In humility, consider others better than yourselves, Philippians 2.3. Do not lie to each other, Colossians 3.9. Bear with each other, Colossians 3.13. Forgive whatever grievances you have, Against one another, Colossians 3.13. I'm going to keep going. Teach one another, Colossians 3.16. Admonish one another, Colossians 3.16. Make your love increase and overflow for each other. That's beautiful. 1 Thessalonians 3.12. Again, love each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.9. Encourage each other. 1 Thessalonians 4.18. Encourage each other again. 1 Thessalonians 5. 11, build up each other, 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, encourage one another daily, Hebrews 3, 13, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, Hebrews 10, 24, encourage one another again, Hebrews 10, 25, don't slander one another, James 4, 11, don't grumble against each other, James 5, 9, confess your sins to each other, James 5, 16, pray for each other, James 5, 16, love one another deeply from the heart, 1 Peter 3, 8. Live in harmony with one another, 1 Peter 3.8. Love each other deeply, 1 Peter 4.8. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling, 1 Peter 4.9. Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, 1 Peter 4.10. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, 1 Peter 5.5. Greet one another with a kiss of love, 1 Peter 5.14. And let's just go for the home run here. Love one another, 1 John 3.11. Love one another, 1 John 3. 23, 1 John 4, 7, 1 John 4, 11, 1 John 4, 12, 2 John 5, verse 5. Just a little overview of the one another, how you can love one another this morning, in case you wondered. Hits me like a ton of bricks. 
I hope this paints a picture of what Jesus is talking about in verse 34 when Jesus said to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. Wash each other's feet in this way. Amen? By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That kind of love. Amen? May he change us. The truth is, must be put into action. It's our, it's our witness, church. And, and finally, in ending, and upon this great, just amazing statement to the church, verse 36, and Simon Peter said, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Like he says, where I'm going, you can't come. Now, here's the new commandment I'm going to give you. Love one another. It's the witness. It's like the big deal. Uh, where are you going? <laughs> How many of you are walking away going, uh, yeah, well, okay, whatever on the love one another, but do you know what I mean? I can totally relate. I love Peter. And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow me but you will follow afterward. You follow to the end of John and Jesus is on the shore and he's cooking the fish and the guys are fishing and they don't get fish and I can't remember what story it is, but basically Peter recognizes it's Jesus. He jumps off the boat, swims to Jesus, goes to the shore. Peter has denied Jesus three times. They haven't really talked since then, right? Peter restores him. I mean, Jesus restores Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know, I love you. No, I love you. Tears, tears, tears. Feed my sheep. Tend my lambs. Feed my sheep. Oh, sweet. It's the reconciliation. Peter, you're, you didn't betray. You denied, but I've got you. I've prayed. Satan decided to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. Thank you. We have a Jesus who intercedes for us. And he tells him, you're still in the game. Let's go forward. And then Peter says, and then Jesus says, you know, but you're going to go down a road and you're going to get crucified like I was crucified. This is what Jesus said to Peter, signifying what death would glorify the Lord. And church history says that Peter went on to be crucified upside down along with his wife. You can't follow me now, Peter, but you will. And I love Peter in, at the end of John he says, but what about John? <laughs> Can he die too? <laughs> it's like, you know, good, good buddies, you know? Can we go together? He says, don't worry about him. If, if he sticks around to see me come back, kind of prophesying about that he would see the day of the Lord in the book of Revelation, you don't worry about John. You follow me, Peter. He tells him the same thing that happened in the very beginning when he called him, follow me, Peter. We'll get to the cross at the beginning, but now he says, you can't follow me now, but you will. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you. Verse 38, and Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow until you have denied me three times. Jesus knew everything. And what I love about it is Peter start, Jesus starts to stop, talk to Peter in threes throughout the rest of it. How many times did the sheet have to come down for Peter to start eating Gentile food? Three times. How many Gentiles came to the door right after that? 
Three times. How many times did Jesus say, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? Or Peter said, you know, he said, do you love me? Three times. How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Love that stuff. So, in all of this today, Jesus has loved us to the end. And he's given us his Holy Spirit, church, to now go walk as Jesus walked. That you can simply ask him, Lord, I'm unlovable and I don't feel like loving. Lord, lead me to the cross and show me how to love today. Give me opportunities to love, to lay down my life for your church, for your people around. Let your priorities be above mine. Lead me today, Lord Jesus, and he will put people in your path in this room. And he will teach you how to love until that day. And you, like Peter, might be on this side of, yeah, I'll do anything for you, Lord, but Lord knows. But he will be faithful to shepherd you to the day that you see him face to face. Amen? Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this word out of your precious word. This has been a, a good time in your presence. Minister now, Lord, to your church. Cleanse us of our sin, of our selfishness, God. Help us to humble ourselves, Father, and to walk as your son walked by the power of your Holy Spirit. And as a result, may the world see you alive. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.